It's only a kick. A jump. A block. It's only a serve. It's only a tackle. A run. It's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. Welcome back to the Buckeye Breakdown Podcast, where the Ohio State Buckeyes are getting ready for the 2021 season. Buckeyes now on Sports Illustrated is your spot to get ready for that season and follow those Buckeyes all season long. Alongside Brett Hilbrand, I'm Brennan Gulick. Glad to have you tonight, Brett, for uh, a day that that had some what felt like fairly important news and then simultaneously also felt head scratching. <laughs> I think we got uh, a, a nice hand holding, um, uh, a nice group of three, you know, Power Five conference commissioners saying, "Hey, whatever happens, we're going to do this together." Um, now let's figure out what that is. Uh, cause I think there was like a lot of this, you know, really lofty rhetoric and, um, you know, talking in, in circles, um, without having a clear exact path forward. But it, the general consensus to me was we'll figure it out and we're going to try to figure it out together. How, how'd you interpret it? Worst episode of survivor ever, uh, <laughs> is how I would maybe describe, uh, the, the, the situation we saw today. Uh, and, it was the, I, I, I it might have been like the PR speak Olympics, and I'm not sure anybody meddled today. <laughs> uh, I, 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 I really, on a personal level, I struggle with like corporate speak, and I have, uh, I'm a, I'm a patient guy by nature. I have no patience for corporate speak. Very, very little. And I, and I think we are in, in this era of, you know, big money college sports in these, in these conferences, you know, wielding so much, so much power and, you know, almost being multinational corporations and and, and millions and millions and millions of dollars behind it. They are very much corporations now for sure. And so, um, it feels weird that we're here at this point that we even have to kind of discuss this. And I, I think in large part, I'm still shocked that in a lot of ways, Texas still has the power it does uh, and, and is maybe, you know, kind of a, a domino in, in this kind of cascading mess that we are currently, you know, finding ourselves in, but whatever today was, it was certainly something. <laughs> we can talk about Texas and Oklahoma here in a little bit. I, I want to uh, at least try to start with our focus on on today. Um, I think the biggest takeaways, you know, newsworthy takeaways. Uh, one, you know, all three commissioners basically came straight out and said, "Look, we don't want to uh, interfere with already scheduled, you know, games down the line." Right. So the the Ohio State Notre Dame series that's going to take place in twenty two and twenty three. You know, execute that, and and oh by the way, all of the you know the games against your your non power five schools, same thing. Um, so on one level, you sit there and go, well, gee, when is when and how is this alliance going to start taking place from a football perspective? Because the Buckeyes don't have an open date till twenty twenty four. I think I saw earlier today, Penn State doesn't have an open date till twenty five. So you know, the the general consensus seemed to be 
we're going to try to schedule games amongst ourselves, but we're not going to prevent you from scheduling games against teams in other conferences. And the, you know, Jim Phillips came out today and said the Big 12 is really important. It's critical to college athletics. It's critical to the Power Five. But they weren't a part of this alliance. And who knows if the Big 12 is still going to exist in its you know current or future iteration uh, in the next year or two, right? There's, there's already uh, a contract in place that Texas and Oklahoma are going to have to get out of but who knows how how the current structure of that league even remains, and and perhaps they don't even remain at all. Perhaps the league dissolves. Maybe all the teams end up going elsewhere. I mean, those are very realistic possibilities. So I think there's an element of this alliance without these three commissioners coming straight out and saying it. There's a lot going on in college athletics, and they kept going back to that point and they specifically pointed out, you know, the NCAA's constitution may be changing and, and how they legislate or govern should be changing. Um, name, image, and likeness, and the transfer portal, and on and on and on and on. And, and very sparingly did they talk about conference realignment or talk about the specifics of Texas and OU going to, uh, to the SEC. But there's a reason why this discussion started when Texas and OU you know, had it made public a month ago that they were headed to the SEC. I, I think the best way for fans to digest all of this is to accept the fact that in all likelihood, these three leagues are looking at each other saying, we've got big TV contracts with TV partners. Even the ACC's deal isn't very good, but at least they have a, you know, a, a deal with a huge media outlet in ESPN. And it's, it's my gut feeling that they are trying to stabilize some of the, you know, quickly changing landscape in college sports and prevent the SEC from doing whatever the hell they want to do. Like saying, hey, let's have 100 scholarships because we want to do that now. We're going to go do it right now. There's maybe some sort of like aligned thinking group that could vote against something like that. So I think that's the. That could be the best accomplishment from today, but somewhere along the way, Brad, I mean, you know, don't you have the right to serve your own needs as a commissioner? Kevin Warren better look out for the big 10 George Klievkoff better look out for the PAC 12, right? I mean, there's some, there's some level of that you can't ignore. I I think Kevin Warren maybe said it best when he said there's turbulence in college athletics and we're like, yeah, man, it, you're the one maybe churning it a little bit. Uh, I, you know, I, I, I think in a lot of ways, I, as, you know, as fans and, and, you know, and for us, you know, kind of, you know, doing this as, as a job, like, I think, you know, name, image and likeness, you know, signaled certainly a, a new era of, of collegiate athletics and, uh, and, and, you know, I, I think I was ready for that. And I think I was, you know, you know, I think that was a fairly easy thing as far as anticipating that coming. Um, and even some conference realignment, I felt like, you know, that that happens. Right. That happens periodically. We've seen some seismic shifts before. Um, but I think we are approaching territory, if not already in it at this point, of major uh like cataclysmic, you know, seismic type uh, 
transition here in in what collegiate at collegiate athletes athletics looks like what collegiate athletes look like um you know as far as forward facing front facing public uh people and and i think as a byproduct of those two things how fans essentially consume all of this all, you know and all of these changes will change and, and so we are most definitely in this this period of transition and i think because we're in that we feel a little bit untethered from the past and i think that's one of the kind of the, the pillars that makes collegiate athletics special right is it's reverence and constant comparison and juxtaposition with seasons past, coaches past, conferences Amen. past, whatever. Amen. And and I, you know the and the idea that fandom a lot of times you know is is patrilineal or or through family lines, right? Like we or, or it's geographic significance and in ways that pro sports just doesn't quite offer on the same level. It, that, yeah, and there's, there's a romance, there's a regionalism to it that, that like makes that engine go. And a sense of ownership too, right? Sure. Like you can go to Ohio, Ohio state and feel like you own in so much as the, the, the word or are part of this kind of glacial, you know, entity that, can that reflects in some people reflects directly upon themselves. Right. And like the, the success or failures of a certain college team, you know, are dire- directly related to, you know, it's alumni. Right. And, 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 and how those people kind of feel about themselves and also maybe their university and communities at large. So it's, we're in a period of change. It's going to feel very turbulent. It's going to be, feel, it's going to feel very weird. I think in a lot of ways it, there you can you can maybe make like a, a really solid Star Wars reference here as far as like Rebel Alliance and and the Death Star and I think we all know who the Death Star is <laughs> and 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 who might the Empire might be and and we we have these you know kind of conferences kind of banding together a little bit to try and kind of fight off the impending doom that the southeastern part of the country seems to you know be really intent on on uh, you know kind of forcing upon the the rest of the country. We'll take your uh, your questions or your comments here as we go along. If you're watching uh, either on our YouTube channel, which uh, we certainly hope you'll subscribe to our YouTube channel if you are. Um, if you're listening after the fact, you you can certainly um, listen live as we uh, as we broadcast this live. But um, you can find your uh, Buckeye Breakdown podcast wherever you like to to find it. But please feel free to interact with the show if you uh, you know if you're watching live with us. Uh, uh, Comment here. I wouldn't mind seeing this scheduling alliance come to fruition, but without an actual contract and many years till new scheduling is actually in play, who knows what will happen? I, I think that brings up maybe the funniest point of all of this, or at least the point where fans kind of go, hmm. You know, th- there was a direct question asked today of what kind of legally binding document has been signed, will be signed, etc. Um, to enforce this alliance or whatever name you're calling it because um, people right now are, are, are being left to call it whatever they want to call it. And George Klyavkov jumped right in and and I admire his um, I admire his straightforwardness in his answer. I guess I just didn't I don't know if I love what he said. Um, but he came straight out and said there is no legally binding document. We don't feel like we need to have some sort of contract. 
This is essentially a, a gentleman's agreement, for lack of a better way to explain it. Um, you know, a, a group of like-minded, you know, like-minded thinkers, um, university presidents, athletic directors, boards of trustees, and certainly commissioners that all want to try to achieve the same thing. And, you know, we are, we're working together to try to achieve that, but never did they think that they needed to sign some sort of legally binding agreement. Maybe that's because they weren't sure if they could come up with something that would work for all parties and they want to leave it open-ended. I guess I can, I can see that component to it. Um, and Brett, there definitely here has to be an element of trust um, between some of these, you know, schools or some of these commissioners if, if they want to work what they are, they seem to be setting out to do, I just keep thinking to myself that, you know, th this is a really tough environment right now where it's hard to be trustworthy when you don't know if your best interests are going to be met. And maybe you do choose to trust somebody and you get burned, then what? So, you know, there's no legally binding anything for this quote unquote alliance. And I'd like to think that everybody wants to be good and true to their word. Um, boy, I, I don't know. Yeah. I, I think, I think of uh, in my mind, the way I'm kind of looking at this initially is the, the most, what are the value, most valuable pieces of property and I'm air quoting property uh, that these conferences have in terms of, what exists, what what contests and in uh, in sports uh, exist under kind of their um, under their purview that are are the most appealing, right? We're talking about Big Ten football for sure. Uh, wink, wink, nudge, nudge. Uh, Ohio State football. Um, we're talking about ACC basketball, men's basketball, and women's basketball, uh, and and Clemson uh, football, and then in the Pac twelve. What exactly? I guess you know, USD, and, and you know, right, like big market, uh, big tradition. But. Yeah, you know, I, lot, lots of lots of eyeballs. Certainly, lots of TV eyeballs. But we're not necessarily talking about, uh, you know, exceptional football programs that have made made a lot of noise in the last ten years. And 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 certainly, I think there there's you know you can maybe make the case that Pac-12 basketball, men, men's and women's basketball is. Uh, making an impact. I think Stanford's women uh, certainly are, are, you know, kind of included in that. Uh, and, and it, it, you know, if you look at the, the women's basketball properties too, I mean, look at the ratings of the women's final four. It's been up like exponentially over the last couple of years. And I think that's in large part to the, to the, to the games being uh, really, really good. Uh, but also just the, 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 the increased exposure that they're getting the, the, the fact that the you know the games are more primetime, the slots better in in and on ESPN. So I wonder a little bit about leverage and which conference or which group maybe has the most leverage, and and then as an extension of that, who has the most to gain and the most to lose. Well, and and I think that's that's where this like there's a lot of questions here, right? Because in my mind, I'm looking at the Big Ten and look wondering like. Well, you know, it's like, man, I, I understand that you might there there's an there's kind of an isolation kind of, you know, but, you know, and maybe there's strength in numbers and, and all of this. But, man, there's you have to wonder a little bit about, like, is this a super conference is it, that that's coming you know down the line? What does this look like for 
you know, non-conference matchups, conference seasons, whatever. So there, I, I think we, we inevitably with all of this, and this is why I think the whole thing feels a little weird, is we, we came away from this situation answering a question that no one was really asking, one. And two, we have a lot more follow-ups and a lot more questions, I think, today than we did the day before. And I'm not so sure that's a good thing as well. I think the Big Ten has to be the league that is, you know, front and center in this discussion because they're they're the only league in the country that can actually compete with the SEC on a balance sheet, right? It's the oldest. It might not feel like it right now if you're living in in SEC country. Maybe you've got SEC glasses on and you think that, you know, everything starts and stops with that league. The Big Ten is the oldest and wealthiest conference in America. And the fact of the matter is, to, to your point, in this alliance, far and away, the two biggest sports properties are Ohio State and Michigan. They are the they are two of the four biggest athletic departments in the country, other than Texas and Texas A and M. Um, you know, those numbers are all are pre-COVID, but even even through the coronavirus pandemic, you know, Ohio State and Michigan financially did not have to make the same uh, quite the same level of of um, you know, what's the Cut right backs. word? Yeah, I mean, everybody had furloughs and things like that, but it, it didn't impact the Buckeyes as right. severely as Purdue and Nebraska right. and some of these programs that have, you know, spent money like drunken sailors where the Buckeyes, you know, for lack of a better way to say it, were sort of saving for a rainy day, right? They didn't cut programs. They didn't fire coaches. You know, they, they they maintained as much a sense of normalcy as they could afford to because they were preparing for a drastic event, which was a fiscally responsible thing to do. Um, I, I just think that with, with the Big Ten's media rights coming to market next, with the two biggest properties of these 41, you know, total that are uh, a part of, you know, this quote-unquote alliance, um, I have a hard time seeing – a circumstance where the Big Ten at least doesn't kind of sort of get their way. Um, but to right. your point, you know, for something like this to work, man, it's got to it's got to work for everybody somehow. And you know, the Pac-12, they they came straight out and said we are very for playoff expansion. Well, no kidding. You know, things right. haven't been very good right now for the Pac-12 and the college football playoff. Of course, they're for expansion. Um, Kevin Warren has said the same thing. He is pro-expansion of the playoff, but under a circumstance where they don't cut corners in evaluating their options. I think that's a responsible thing to say. The ACC didn't really come straight out and say what their, uh, you know, what their thoughts were, or at least the commissioner didn't, around college football playoff expansion. Um, I still think there's a, a reasonable likelihood that the playoff expands, but I'm not so sure that it's going to be as cut and dry as it was a month ago before this news came out. Right. And, and I, in my mind, like I, if we're kind of extrapolating and, and if you'll forgive me the, a, a, a couple moments of wild speculation, but I, I like <laughs> my, my, my jump right into like revenue sharing, right? Like if, if you're the ACC, you will absolutely take the crumbs that fall off the big tens table, right? If you're the PAC 12, you're gobbling up everything you possibly can that comes both directly and tangentially uh, to you through kind of the lens of, you know, what the big 10 brings. Right. And so that's what feels that, I mean, maybe that's what feels so odd in a lot of ways, but I mean, 
at the same time, I think if you're if you're these conferences and you have and you know very very well and it's and it's if you, and you know exactly where kind of every school stands in the hierarchy, the totem pole, so to speak, and you know what your most valuable assets are, and you know where your least one, what your least valuable assets are. I think when you look at what the SEC has done with both Texas and Oklahoma and what that might look like, you absolutely worry about your most valuable assets getting poached somewhere else. And so there, I think, I think it's a strength in numbers situation in a lot of ways. I think that it's maybe a little coattail riding uh, as far as, you know, the ACC and, and the PAC 12 is concerned a little bit. Um, I mean, I think if, if you wonder like, what, what does the ACC look like if Clemson bounces? If, if Clemson and Florida state left the ACC, I think in a lot of ways they might be in a similar position. It might not be quite as drastic, but they'd be in a, a pretty similar position to where the Big 12 is right now. You yeah. you lose your two biggest dogs, you're you're kind of stuck. Yeah, and well, like so, and, and real quick, and, Brett, to your earlier point, does that mean that as these conferences start to decide what pieces of the pie go to which schools? Is it an even split for everybody, or do Clemson and Florida State maybe get a little better percentage than Duke or or Virginia Tech? Maybe Duke's a bad example because basketball's so good, but Virginia Tech or or Boston College, right? Maybe, maybe you know, should Ohio State and Michigan get a better percentage of the media rights, you know, acquired by the Big Ten than Minnesota and? You know, Northwestern, I, I think those are fair things to consider. And, and also that's where the idea of, you know, the, the independence amongst schools and where, you know, all of a sudden they, you know, some of these universities and athletic departments realize where the majority of their leverage is or is not. Right. Um, if that if that, you know, it exists or it doesn't. And, and how, when, when do they feel like they, they work to exercise some of that and, and, you know, and is there a tiered kind of revenue sharing, all that kind of stuff. I mean, I think, um, you know, if we're, if we're even like going to take even like a broader view of this, um, almost on like a kind of a societal standpoint, I do think there is a, a bubble, so to speak of live media rights, uh, live sports, you know, live TV sports rights, where the money is going to run out eventually. And, and, and that, it, that's a fact. It'll happen at some point. Yeah, there's no way so much to go around, really. Right. There's, there's no way the NFL is worth as much as it, as it says it is, you know, to its broadcasters. There's no way the PGA tour is worth as much as it was with selling their most recent media rights. Right. There's no way major league baseball is worth what it is the NBA. Um, but because each one has been able to ask for more and then essentially get it because that's the only way these cable providers and, and, and streaming agencies can make any money because that's really the only way to guarantee eyeballs for ad rates. Uh, you know, the, essentially, the, you know, kind of the, the, the demand meets the supply there a little. And so um, – when when that kind of comes crashing down at some point, and it will, I just don't know when. Um, I think in a lot of ways that that shapes this specific conversation in a really dramatic way because I think 
if, if we're distilling this down to its purest form, this is a conversation we're having about two main things, right? We're talking about NCAA governance and, and leverage of that based upon conference strength. And then we're talking about live TV rights specific to each individual conference and essentially who makes the most money by getting the most eyeballs. Those, are, those, those I think, are the two factors. I mean, there's a reason here where the Pac-12 and the Big Ten could have an alliance and say, hey, it's really good for TV media rights and for eyeballs and advertisers to have the Buckeyes playing against USC, one of the biggest brands in college football against maybe a team that you know has a ton of tradition. USC is not necessarily playing on the same you know playing field right now that Ohio State is, but huge market. When when they're good, they've got a great following. LA's kind of a pro sports town, and and I think their college teams, um, the the fan bases can be a little finicky at times. They're they're good, um, but you got a lot of choices in town, and sometimes it's hard to, you know, hard, hard to see fans. I mean, I, I, I've asked uh, Brian Driscoll this at, at the Notre Dame um, Sports Illustrated site, Irish Breakdown. You know, he, he's told me straight out. When, when Notre Dame has played at USC, there have been some games where they've played in front of pretty bad crowds because people haven't always wanted to just go out and, and support USC. So I, I guess what I'm saying is if you've got a big brand like Ohio State and you've got a, maybe a sleeping giant in you know a, a program like USC, um, those kinds of matchups could be really good for college athletics. They could be really good for college football. The money could be there. You know, there's there's reasons to encourage big programs to play big programs. But for, I don't know, Oregon State to now schedule Virginia Tech, is that really making a huge impact on eyeballs and advertisers and the finances behind college football? Like, ah, I don't I'm not I'm not really buying that. If we're talking specifically about the Pac-12, I can make the make the argument that Oregon is actually the Pac-12's most valuable. Sure asset it's not sc it's not ucla it's not stanford it's not washington it's 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 nike university yeah in oregon and and what what could potentially happen there with name and likeness opportunities uh specific to nike and and what that might mean for Oregon football, basketball, and, and other sports kind of tangentially and in a trickle-down way with recruiting. And, and then as a step beyond that, on-field success. Um, so I, I – but I, I – you know, and th- I think this got, kind of goes back to what, what we were talking about earlier about the – how, how the, the whole landscape of college athletics is changing. And, I, and it's very important – in this kind of time of transition and change that you don't lose what made college sports what it is. Right. And I think one of the big pieces is, is that, that reverence and constant kind of awareness of past, the past traditions, right. That, and if there is, and, and I think in a, in, a, in a big way, traditions a lot of times stem from consistency amongst opponents. And I think if you lose some of those traditional regional rivalries, that's a problem. And, and I think as a, 
an extension of that, I think you lose a little bit of interest in, uh, you know, geographical or whatever, regional or whatever. So, um, you know, I, I think I think if you were to ask the average Wisconsin fan who they would rather play, you know, would you rather play, you know, Purdue or would you rather play Pitt? They're going to say Purdue overwhelmingly more and and that and 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 maybe that's a resistance to change kind of thing you know and is a factor there but i think the traditions matter and i think the traditions matter a lot more than i think we realize right like i'm a child of the 90s maybe nostalgia for the 90s amongst you know people my age is massive in, in in ways that I think people a little bit older than us don't feel right. And, and I think if you take away some of that, I think that that's a, that I could see being a problem, right? So there's, there are so many kind of little bits and of, of influence that I think really, really move and, and kind of hit this kind of situation from all sides that uh, is going to make this whole thing complicated. It is already extremely complicated. And, <laughs> and but I, I, you know, I, I'm an internal optimist. And I, I'm always kind of interested as to like kind of what what comes around the corner with some of the growth and transition and change. Uh, but there is a part of me that worries about this as far as sure. as far as it getting too big. There's too much money, and then it's and then it's just a it's just a dollar arms dollars arms race, more than it already is now in a lot of ways, or exponentially more than it is now, and we lose some of the soul that makes college athletics maybe the best. I think the biggest word that you said that resonated with me was consistency. The idea that you know it's not just one offs where you're playing against a team that's quote unquote a regional rival it's it's the fact that you look forward to those games every year or darn near every year right. um that's part of what makes college football so special i totally agree and hopefully it is the goal i i i believe it to be the goal of this alliance to try to maintain those kinds of things so i i hope that exists two more things I want to talk about. One of them is um, Texas and OU based because it, it, it feels as though this has all started because of the move they made. And I, I got to thinking earlier about what it must be like right now to be Lincoln Riley and to be Steve Sarkeesian. Coaching for giant college football programs in a conference – where you've become absolutely loathed, hated. They're going to get booed every time they go on the road. Um, they can't leave the Big 12 fast enough. Yeah. But who knows how soon they're actually going to be able to get out and get in with the SEC. The challenge is that those two schools must be going through and recruiting because your recruiting pitch to kids is, hey, come play for us. We're, we're going to be an SEC school. Well, when's that going to happen? Well, I don't know. You know, could be next year, could be four years, could be three years. You know, and, and until it's done, it's not done, and you don't know for sure. And and how challenging it might be to recruit to those programs 
uh, under these really weird, tough circumstances. And yet Oklahoma seems to continue to recruit, you know, some pretty high level kids. Um, Texas just kind of feels fickle to me, man. Like they want to win for sure. And they seem to have a pretty short leash. If they're not winning, then, you know, on to the next guy. Um, I wonder how long Chris Del Conte will have Steve Sarkeesian's back. Um, you know, Tom Herman is a really, really good football coach. And I'm I'm a little surprised that it didn't last uh, as long as, as it probably could have. Um, there's a lot of schools in the country that would kill to be Texas. Um, so I, I don't know. I just I kind of got thinking earlier about the the weird world that those programs must be living in because they can't get to the SEC fast enough, but they truly don't have an answer. And who knows when we're going to find out? Because the the Big Twelve owns their media rights till twenty five, so it could be a couple years. Who knows? I'm gonna I'm gonna kind of expand off your question by asking you a question. Okay. How many schools, universities across our country do you think have a larger endowment, a more, more wealthy endowment than than the University of Texas? It, if if there's any, it's you can count them on one hand, I'm sure of it. It's one. Do you know what school it is? Uh my three guesses would be Ohio State, Texas AM, and uh, Michigan. It's Harvard, and no, that's in lar- and that's in large part. That's in large part for a couple of reasons. One, that they're they're just overall giving. If you kind of actually think about like Harvard alums, like that makes a lot of sense. Yeah, okay. but also their 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 overall asset management and and some of the some of the, um, I'll use the word investments uh, <laughs> that that university has made over, um, you know, two hundred plus years. Uh, is uh, has have have paid off handsomely. It's one. There's one school that has more money, so so to speak, than than the University of Texas. There's one, and within the University of Texas, and it's thirty nine point something billion dollar endowment, is a huge amount of land assets, real estate assets, and mineral rights. And I don't think any of those things are depreciating in value. No. So the. It, they quite literally, not quite literally, but figuratively print money year in and year out. And, and, it, and it is mystifying to me that a that a middling athletic department that that has had basically no outright success athletically in really any sport over the last 15, 16 years, my fr- what's yeah, they've had a couple, they've had a couple flashes in the pan, but nothing. Well, Vince Young, Vince Young was when 2005, uh, 2005, so my freshman year of college, 2005 was the last time their football team was technically relevant, and yet they wield this much power, and it is all due to the fact that the war chest is as big as it is. Oklahoma is not that far down the list, so is Texas A&M, not that far down. Uh, as far as both endowments and then and and then what they have as far as assets the and liquidity from from the both uh, uh, the net worth of the athletic departments themselves, but then also the overall financial power that the universities hold, right? And there there are a lot of reasons for that. There are a lot of geographical reasons. Cough cough energy. Cough cough. 
that Oklahoma and Texas wield the power that they do. And I think it would be naive of us to say that what we're seeing now is is at best influenced by I think it is a direct, direct marker and movement, uh, a strategic move because of of everything that they're that that those two schools are able to do in conjunction with the SEC, who's more than happy to 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 be able to take the blank checks that both of those schools uh, will be cutting to be able to join the league. So. Um, but at the same time, you also have to wonder a little bit about. I think I think what you said about Sark and Lincoln Riley is is fantastically fascinating to me in that these two football coaches, whether we like it or not, and whether we think this is right or not, and and you can make the art, I, I would be open to any and all arguments and discussions about that specifically or about this specifically, that they influence that $39.1 billion endowment more than maybe anyone else. Football coach does. Yeah. Not Jerry Jones, not the governor of Texas, not Garth Brooks, <laughs> even though Garth Brooks, I think, is an Oklahoma State guy. Uh, but you know what I'm saying? Like, that's that's crazy. Yeah. That's crazy. But that, I think, is the world that we live in. And in, in a lot of ways, I think that's a lot of pressure for someone, especially when you're relying on other people to kind of go and do what go and do your work, so to speak. That would uh, be a really interesting podcast to have. What college football coach has the most pressure? Who is on the eternal hot seat? And, and is it just the programs that are at the top of the top of the food chain because they're expected to stay there or you know, are there other mitigating factors at other universities uh, where maybe coaches aren't comfortable? That would be a fascinating discussion. We should do that. Yeah, I agree. I would put Texas number one every time in that conversation. That's it's a, it's a good thought. It's a good thought. Yeah. But so but I think I think that's that's like such a such an inter, interesting kind of a little kind of uh, corner, uh, if you will, of this overall conversation that we're having. Right. Is that. These two schools, in a lot of ways, are kind of standing at the bully pulpit and, and using the leverage that they do have to, to influence the, the whole kind of spectrum. And I think that's fascinating. I don't know if I think that's right. Um, no, it's, it's a great point. Um, but right is, right is subjective. Uh, but yeah. that's what they're doing. Yeah, yeah. Um, hard pivot, I guess, to the, to the last idea here. And just... How does this all affect the Buckeyes? Um, and, and while while I let you stew on that for a minute, uh, for people that don't maybe you know have memorized Ohio State's future non-conference opponents, um, next year the Buckeyes are playing Notre Dame, Arkansas State, and Toledo. Twenty-three San Jose State, Western Kentucky, and Notre Dame's the big game. Twenty twenty-four. There's only two non-conference games scheduled so far: Southern Miss and Washington. 25 will be interesting. Texas, Washington, uh, both at the same in the same year, uh, and UConn. Um, 26 is Ball State, Texas, and Boston College. 2027, Bowling Green, Alabama, Boston College. Uh, and then after that, there's only one team on the schedule there the rest of the way. Alabama uh, in 28, Georgia 30-31 and uh, Oregon 32-33. So the Buckeyes do have some, you know, uh, pretty notable non-conference games coming up here in, in the next decade. Uh, several of them are Pac-12 or ACC schools. Um, 
you know, Ohio State has never really shied away from scheduling tough games. Um, I, I, I think the SEC, you know, you have more of that, hey, let's schedule the additional game against fill-in-the-blank FCS school. You know, everybody wants to watch Alabama play Mercer. Um, you know, I guess if you can do it, you can do it, right? Bless those um, kids. <laughs> the uh, sacrificial lambs at Mercer. Savannah um, State, them too, yeah. Yep, yep, same deal. Um, so, you know, again, how does this all impact the Buckeyes? You know, look, you, you've got a conference that you are still king of in football. Um, you are one of two schools that financially is is way out in front of the rest of the league. I I just – and, again, maybe this is, is because the Buckeyes are in a great spot. I have a really difficult time seeing things happen in this quote-unquote alliance – that would go, you know, greatly against the wishes of or, or you know, the best intentions of the Buckeyes. Winning cures all ills. Sure does. And, and I think that is, in a lot of ways, the only requirement right now for this program during this transition. Just keep winning. Uh, because if you don't, if you fall by the wayside in, say, ways that we've seen Texas – uh, is a good example of that, or Florida State um, that had, that had, had that have had some success and then some bad seasons in a row, and then all of a sudden you kind of fall out of the zeitgeist amongst modern recruiting, um, and it's very 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 hard to scratch and claw your way back into that top tier. Uh, if if you do that, then it's a problem because then you lose your leverage. I think uh, it, overall you know, the landscape of college football, you lose your leverage. Um, but I don't really see that happening. Um, I don't, I think the big 10 football specific is, uh, I would say properly, properly rated as far as strength in football, criminally underrated as far as strength in men's basketball. And, and I, you know, and, and, and those drive the, the overall conversation and, and so um, I, I would say if you're worried about kind of Ohio State losing its its foot and toehold in in kind of, you know, being basically one of like the top three kind of schools athletically, I don't see that happening as far as we're talking about Ohio State, Clemson and Alabama. Uh, I, I just don't see that happening. Uh, I don't see that happening for a lot of reasons. Um, I think maybe the biggest is Ryan Day, uh, and, and, and stability there, I think, uh, is a massive factor. Uh, but my, my biggest concern is what we talked about a few minutes ago. And that's, and that's the regional rivalries and the consistency of them. And if you lose those, you little, you lose a little bit of the heart and soul of what makes Ohio state athletics special. And it, what and, and one of the few common denominators that I think we as a society have left, and that I think is a greater factor, or a larger factor, and a more uh, maybe more serious conversation about maybe kind of the state of affairs of our country. If you take some of those away, I think we lose a little bit of the fabric of our society, and I think that's a problem, especially if you're doing that because you're chasing chasing dollars elsewhere. And so I would I would very much caution the powers that be to be aware of that, to have the emotional intelligence and the, and the humility required, the self-awareness required 
to be able to look at those situations, to be able to analyze how their decisions not only affect universities, but the people who love them and the people who support them, you know, night in and night out, year in and year out. And I think that's important and, and perhaps maybe the most important thing we're talking about. Uh, I think that um, it, it was mentioned a few times today. I just hope that remains at the front and center of the conversation of this alliance. Um, there's there's a lot of there's a lot of things pulling, you know, thought processes uh, and decisions these days, and uh, it's all good and nice to sit here and say that, you know, we're going to put the the health and safety and and best interests of our student athletes always at the for, uh, at the front of the line. I believe for the most part that that has been the case even in this recent past here. Uh, but boy, I, I sure hope that that, you know, isn't lost in some of these future decisions because man, we are, we are at a crux in college athletics where we are desperate for passionate, um, you know, well, leadership. well, I was going to say leadership. I mean, College athletics needs leadership in just the worst way. And I, oh, believe, yeah, absolutely. I believe there are some good people in college athletics. I've met a lot of good, well-intentioned people in leadership roles. You got to make tough decisions. And, you know, sometimes those are popular. Sometimes they aren't. But, man, it, th- there is a chance right now to shape college athletics for literally decades with all the different things that are going on. I think that's what this alliance is trying to accomplish. Um, if you're a Buckeye fan, you know, I, I think in a lot of ways you don't need to lose too much sleep because it's kind of the blessing of being at the top of the food chain. Your football yeah. team's good. Your athletic department's healthy. You've got a great coach. You've got a, a really dynamic athletic director. You play in a, a conference that, you know, right now you are the king of the castle. Um there's just a lot of reasons why Ohio State's in a good spot here. And so, you know, it's time for, for this alliance to try to, to make some good decisions. And um, don't screw it up. Don't please, please, please don't screw it up. Um, I want to, I want to keep loving college football 30 years from now because it still looks like what it did in some regard, you know, 50 years ago. Um, there are parts of it that need to change, of course, but um it's, it's part of the fun of the history of following college football is that you have the ability to cross-compare certain generations because there are some core principles that haven't changed. Right. And I just I really hope that that remains. And you lose that, you lose a little bit of the fabric of what makes it special and important. <clears throat> yeah, no doubt. All right, plenty more over at BuckeyesNow.com. We appreciate you uh, hanging out with us here for a little bit tonight. Latest episode of Buckeye Breakdown available wherever you'd like your podcasts. It's in the Apple Store. It's on Spotify. Uh, we'll be in the Google Play Store here very shortly. Lots of uh, lots of good things going on with uh, with that. And please, if you're not already subscribed to our YouTube channel, we would appreciate that as well. For Brett Hilprand, I'm Brendan Gulick. We'll see you again real soon. Buckeyes now on Sports Illustrated.